This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 300. Amazing. And the quote of the day is from John Baptiste, who said, You're never too important to be nice to people. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond. And beyond. And beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with another session of the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 300, 300. That's amazing. I appreciate you listening. Thanks for getting it to 300, and hopefully there will be hundreds and hundreds or thousands more. Support for this podcast comes from my friends at Casio Music, and you can save 20% on any order over 149 right now by going to Casio Music, C-A-S-C-I-O music.com and using the promo code POD20, P-O-D-20. They've been in business for over 70 years. They get the right instrument in your hands at the right price. Check them out and save some bread. Go to casiomusic.com and use the promo code POD20. All right, this conversation today is with Greg Clark. But before we get into that, one, I want to thank everybody for the ratings and reviews you've been leaving on iTunes. If you haven't left a rating or review yet, what are you waiting for? Head over to iTunes. And it's super simple to do. You can leave your rating. You can leave your review. It takes about a minute and a half, and that would really help out the podcast. And two, uh, for all of you who want to get the Monday and Friday emails, head over to drummersresource.com and sign up for the mailing list. You'll get a free copy of my ebook, Stick Control Variations. It's 11 creative exercises to help you with your speed, your independence, your chops. And what I'll do is I'll send you an email out on Monday called Nick's Monday Mix. So it'll have the latest podcast releases, plus a bunch of other stuff that I'm reading, that I'm checking out, some documentaries, some other links and things that I think you'll dig. And then on Friday is the that's a wrap email. So it just wraps up all the content that was released during the week. So uh, all right. So now that that's out of the way, the business is taken care of. Let's get into the conversation with Greg Clark. And Greg is a Washington, D.C. guy, and he's played with a bunch of people, Cody Simpson, Leanne Rhymes, Snarky Puppy, a long list of others. He's really tight with Dennis Chambers. We talk about that whole entire relationship, how he met Dennis, and a really amazing story behind that. And just a ton of insight about playing, about sort of sending the ladder back down. I always say that if you're successful in the career that you wanted to be successful in, then it's your job to spend a lot of time sending that that ladder back down. So he talks about that a lot, especially with Dennis Chambers. So just a really great conversation. And he's a younger dude. I mean, he's, you know, he's he's in his early 30s. I thought he was in his 20s, but he's in his early 30s. So very wise uh, in years for, for how young he is. So, but an amazing player and a very respected player and just a great conversation. So let's Let's get into it with the one and only Greg Clark. Greg, my man, how are you today? Doing good, man. How you doing? I'm doing well. We had a little rough start there, but we don't we don't need we don't need to talk about it. We're just gonna keep rolling right over it. <laughs> right, exactly. We're gonna keep going. <laughs> The good thing is we just cut it out and no no one knows the wiser. It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> so you are um, you're an East Coast guy. You're you're in Washington D.C. Are you born born and raised in Washington D.C.? Born and raised in Washington D.C. Pretty much lived here for the majority of my life. So I read, and we're going to get into to your backstory a little bit, and because I, I want to build some context with the audience. But I read somewhere that Dennis Chambers is your uncle. Is that true? He's something like an uncle. Okay. It's a, it's a, it's a long story. 
behind I get it. the whole thing. But yeah, he's something like an uncle. I, I mean, I have family members that I say, oh, that's my uncle Mike. He's not actually my uncle. So I wasn't sure if he was like blood uncle or if you just call him Uncle Dennis. Either way, it's cool with me. I call him Uncle Dennis. I don't even, you know, but. <laughs> yeah, he's like, it's it's something like an uncle. Like as, as we talk, I'll explain the whole story to you about it and it'll make much more sense but I yeah because like it. it, it's we don't actually have the same blood in our veins and things like that <laughs> hey man sometimes sometimes you don't need to to be family you know that's true that's very true so let's let's talk a little bit about your backstory because there's you know obviously there's a ton of listeners who know who you are and there are some listeners who don't know who you are so if if give me your give me your quick 30 second elevator pitch who you are what you do um and then we'll, we'll really get into the the conversation okay um well, as you already said, I'm Greg Clark. Uh, I've been playing drums pretty much my entire life uh, professionally since about uh, senior year in high school, which was about 2005. So I guess from then until now, uh, did a, my fair, my share of touring and you know shows and things like that. But yeah, that's me. You know, my, I guess my 30-second pitch, as you like put it. it. <laughs> so who are some of, so let's talk about some of the artists that you've played with as well. Because a lot, you know, and I realize that I know everyone's backstory who I have on the podcast. And then we'll be having this conversation. And somebody sent me an email and was like, hey, man, how come you never talk about who they've played with or, you know, like go down the list? And I'm like, oh, I just, I guess I already know. So I don't, so I don't fill people in on it sometimes. Oh, okay. Um, sure. Well, some of the people I've worked with, uh, it kind of, you know, goes all over the board, so much. But uh, like uh, Cody Simpson, uh, a group called Mary Mary. Uh, I don't know if you know who they are. They are Tina and Erica Campbell. Mm-hmm. Uh, T- Tina is the wife of the famous drummer Teddy Campbell. And right. Erica is the wife of a famous producer Warren Campbell. They have like a, a super group that you know grammys all that kind of stuff so i've worked with them i've worked with uh chrisette michelle i've worked with in vogue i've worked with uh snarky puppy i toured with them for a little while um i've done stuff with leanne rhymes alice smith uh heather headley uh raheem devon rasan patterson um it's uh you know so only a few people (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, just a couple of people. <laughs> so you you weren't lying though, man. Though, like those artists are totally all over the map, which I think is a good thing, man. I don't I don't know if I don't know necessarily if there's a ton of players out there because you're a younger guy, right? You're what are you twenty five, twenty six? I wish. How old are you? I wish. I am thirty one. <laughs> thirty? Oh, you're making it sound like you're sixty. <laughs> No, no, no. I've, I, I am 31 years old. I turned 31 maybe like two or three weeks ago. I guess I didn't do the math very well graduating in 2004. Math's not my strong suit. Yeah, so. graduated high school in 2004. No, no, no. I get it. I get it. <laughs> um, but you're, I mean, by, by all standards, you're still a young dude. Um, and I, I think a lot of times the younger, the younger guys, I mean, I'm a younger guy too. I'm only 36. But, um, but I think a lot of people our age, tend to go in one direction or another and it's it's cool to see that <clears throat> you have this this wide range of um of styles and genres that you've been 
you know, that you that you dived into uh, at at a, at a young age. How did all this? How did it all get started for you? I know that you said that you've been playing your entire life, so I'm sure you don't remember like the first time you ever picked up the drums. But I'd like to hear the path of like, okay, you start playing whatever, you know, when you're two or three years old. But how does that turn into playing with Leanne Rhymes? How does that turn into playing with En Vogue? And how does that, you know, how did that career happen for you? Well, um. For me, of course, well, not of course, but, you know, for me personally, it started playing in the church. And I, uh, I guess, you know, two or three or four somewhere in there, just playing for like the kids choir and then kind of, you know, it being cultivated in that environment to want to play more. I mean, for the most part, most kids on some level try to play some sort of an instrument or show interest in an instrument at a very young age. Mm -hmm. But it's, um, and I mean, truth be told, no matter how much you put them around a teacher or anything like that, like they're going to want to play it if they want to play it. That's the only way it's going to happen. And with drum, with me, it was drums. And I just kind of, you know, I couldn't quit it. Like I just, every, everything became drums and liking drums and rhythms and patterns and trying to figure out things at such a young age that just, you know, it just captured my attention so i have a question for you and i and i apologize for interrupting but at, no, it's all good. at what so i know that and i'm basing this on my experience of playing piano so i played piano for for like nine years right and okay. and i wanted to quit i wanted to quit and wanted to quit my parents didn't let me and then finally they gave in and let me and now i look back and i'm just i kick myself you know like i wish i would have never stopped so at what point do you like how how far do you think you push it to where your your kids want to stop playing should it be like if they show any sign of of disinterest you should get them to stop you should allow them to stop playing or if they really push the issue because learning an instrument is hard especially at a young age and it's frustrating and it's you know it's it's challenging and who wants to be challenged when they're four or five (laughs) exactly i mean you're not like oh i'm gonna i'm gonna get some massive growth out of this like you're not thinking that when you're four yeah when you when you're four and five and six in those early ages like an instrument is it's so many things competing with an instrument like toys or fun or (laughs) outside outside. yeah like very simple things compete with that and you know with kids it's a it's a thing of if they want to do it they will figure out a way to do it all the time or let you know very loudly that they want to do it no matter how much you know you push a kid to want to play you know the drums or the violin or whatever the case may be if the kid wants to do it you like you'll know and if he doesn't want to do it then you'll know but i mean i I, as a you know as a child who you know my mother played the piano my dad played the flute it's one of those things where it's like you know the natural progression for me was you know your mom played the piano your grandma played the piano so you, you like somehow or another you'll end up playing that and it was just like once my parents saw that I wanted to play the drums, like they kind of stepped back a little. They put me around different drummers, and then they stepped back a little, stepped back a little bit, and see if I really wanted to do it, or if I if I stuck with it, or you know. And I ended up sticking with it, and that's kind of like the best advice I can give parents with young kids, even from like the ages of of three to almost ten or eleven. Like that whole time span, they're going to be things like video games and friends and life and fun and all outside stuff all that kind of stuff that 
factors into whether or not your kid wants to play an instrument. But if your kid wants to play an instrument, like your kid will let you know by, you know, little things like playing on all the pots or always beating on all the tables around the house or just things that say, I want to play this instrument like you know, it's been years. I want to play this instrument. It's like, I didn't actually get my first drum set until I was probably about, I think, maybe 11 or mm-hmm. 12, somewhere in there, you know, because I'm, you know, you're a kid. So it's like, it doesn't make actual sense to invest into something that you're not sure your child will stick with because that, that ends up being a waste of money. But I'm, but it, it came to a point where it was like, my parents, you know, or more so my dad got sick of me beating on the pots and pans and literally setting them up like a drum set. And I was like, all right, at this point, like, okay, we're going to get you a drum set. And, you know, and I literally played that kit, like, until it fell apart. Like, you know, I really, like, I really did. But that's, you know, that's my ad- advice for parents with children who are not sure or they want their kid to play an instrument. Like, you know, be patient. Be patient with your kid about trying to make that work or things like that, because your child, your child will let you know if they want to do it or if they don't. And don't, mm-hmm. don't, don't necessarily force them. Like you, you as a parent, you know when you're forcing your kid to do something they don't want to do. But when it comes to something like a, anything in terms of the arts, it's like I, my suggestion would be just to let it flow naturally. Like let it flow and see what happens with it, because it's either going to be a really good end story about how you play the instrument or it's going to end up being a cautionary tale. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, you know, I have noticed that we, you know, after doing so many of these interviews that, that we figure it out. So like you didn't have a drum set until you were 11, right? I remember my brother had a drum set in my house and he moved out. So we didn't, I didn't have a drum set anymore. And what do you do? Like you figure it out, you beat on boxes and pots and pans. And, you know, I, I think I had a, I had a, kick drum and i i literally used a folding chair as a as a snare drum you know what i mean and and you figure it out and and you by by any means necessary will will play the drum and i think i agree with you that that's sort of the the telltale sign if the kid is you know beating on things and setting up their own drum set and and all that kind of stuff doesn't mean they're gonna you know they're gonna grow up to be you know the next uh vinnie cauta but who knows at least they're showing a uh, affinity towards it yeah it, 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 they show an affinity towards it and the thing the funny thing about those kind of stories is that you know you know i, I can't stress enough if your kid wants to play the instrument he will let sh- he or she will let you know i want to play this instrument without even telling you like they'll tell you and i want to do this or i want to play basketball or i want to be a chef or i want to do this but somehow or another you'll be able to see if your kid always ends up back near the instruments or playing the instruments. And that's, and for the most part, growing up in church, um, like being near the drums and watching the drummer, is like pretty much the only thing that would keep me sitting still. Like I couldn't take my eyes off that thing. And like once my parents saw that, they were, you know, all right, he's serious about that. You know, let's, let's kind of really try to dive deep and invest and make it, happen for him and uh, and I think it's working pretty nicely for me. <laughs> yeah. I would say so. So let's talk about let's talk about this progression in your career. So you get through um <clears throat> your you're playing in church and as you're growing up you're getting into middle school you're getting into high school was there a point where you flipped the switch and you're like that's this is all I'm going to do or was it a natural progression? Well, it, it it was a little bit of both. I mean, 
in high school, you know, or more so middle school, you know, ninth grade happens. And then I come back to school in 10th grade and I, I go from, you know, 5'11 to 6'3 over a summer. So Man, I, I, enjoy, I, I, I mean, I enjoy playing basketball. I kind of think of myself as a, you know, a Kobe or something like that at that age, you know, but it's like you, you're battling two different sides of a coin. Like I want to play sports. I want to do this, blah, 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 you know, and I actually never even played band or anything like that in school. I just kind of played outside of school and things like that with friends and just things of that nature. But the, the, and it was a natural progression progression, but the, the main key thing that made it shift into I want to play music full time is I got a check from playing music. Like that's just, that's just being real. I got a check from playing music. And the second, and you figure out you can actually do what you love and make a living from it. So like once that happened and that's, you know, once that happened, it's just like, okay, how do I set this up? So, so I can actually support myself doing what I love. And it's a, and it's a, I mean, as you know, it's a never-ending up and down, like internal battle to try to make something like that happen because it's like you want to do it, and you know, you know, a lot of people like more. I, I would, I would arguably say more than eighty percent of the people in this world or more of this country, they don't get to do what they love for a living. So mm-hmm. it's like you learn at such a very small age, like this is the path you want to go. So you start trying to figure out and map out things of how to make it work. And then you start doing research and studying and learning drums and learning different kinds of drums and different makers and watching different drummers and things like that. So it's like, you know, it got to the point where, you know, in school, everybody would, you know, be hanging out and, you know, during a free period. And I'd be on the computer, like researching drums and drummers and watching videos and things like that. And, you know, it just became not necessarily a an addiction, but more so a passion. And it just kind of worked from there. Mm-hmm. There's an interesting, you know, Mark Cuban from uh, Shark Tank. Yes. So there's an interesting thing that he always says that reminds me of, you know, it makes me think of, of drummers. He says, don't, you know, don't necessarily follow your passion, but follow uh, your attention and follow the thing that you're always doing. Like, what do you do on the weekend when you're not at work, right? So if you're sitting home and you're playing drums and you're watching YouTube videos of drummers and you're researching drummers, like that's what you should be doing. Kind of like you're saying, like when you were in high school, you were looking up different drummers and you were doing, so I think a lot of people say, well, oh, oh, I'm passionate about, you know, marketing or whatever. And then it's like, well, every Friday and Saturday night or every spare minute that you have, you're looking up drummers on YouTube and you're practicing and you're fiddling with drums. No, your passion is drumming. It's not marketing, you know, because you're doing it on your spare time for free. And there's a, I just think it's interesting that you said that, that you're like, you know, instead of doing all the things that kids normally do, you're like, no, I want to be like, I want to be looking up drummers and I want to be finding out more about nobody's, nobody's telling you you have to do that. No one's, you know, forcing you to do that. You're doing that on your own. Yeah. I mean, and it's, and it's a, it's, it's a real kind of a passion thing. It's a real kind of a, what keeps your attention? Cause I'm, I'm actually, and I'm, I know you are also, I'm actually old enough to remember pre YouTube. Mm -hmm. So it's like, having to actually buy videos or having to actually watch somebody on TV and try to videotape it before it goes off 
so you can have that memory to study things like or having just CDs. Like I, I remember that section of it trying to figure out drums and figure out music and things like that. So it's, you know, if you and, and, and I, I would arguably say it's easier now to do it in the whole YouTube era. But like then I think those were like the real good times where you couldn't actually see what they were doing. You had to listen and you had to figure it out and come up with your own. That's kind of like a big piece of figuring out your own style. Like it's, you know, it's easy to mimic a drummer if you watch a video of them do the same thing. But it's like having, you know, having a VHS or just a cassette tape or a CD, having to listen to it and figure it out on your own. It's like those kind of things develop a style that, you know, that you that you can call your own. Mm-hmm. I mean, but that's just my opinion, you know. No, and I, I agree. And the one thing that, that I think that that did for the younger, and I don't think this is, I don't think this is bad or good. I, I just think it's a different way that people are, are developing now. But, you know, from personal experience, I know that, okay, I get the Carter Beaufort under the table and drumming uh, VHS tape, right? And I watched that for months at a time. So I'm diving into that particular thing for that long of a time. And then I get a new VHS and then I dive into that for a long time where now I think it's like, okay, you watch three minutes of that on YouTube and then you go to Peter Erskine and then you go to Elvin Jones and then you go to Benny Greb. And then, so, but what I think is happening and tell me if you agree or disagree, I think what's happening is that we're not spending enough time diving deep enough. We're just learning on the surface of all of these different things. And we're not actually diving deep enough to see what's going on because information is out. It's everywhere. It's so ubiquitous that you can like jump around so quickly. Yes. I, uh, I agree with that. I think, I think, um, the whole art of diving in and learning and studying to the T is kind of a lost art. It's not a completely lost art and it's like, it's nowhere of being gone, but it's, it's, it's a lost art. That's, you know, it's, it's strange. Like I've had guys hit me up on social media asking me questions about tuning drums and, you know, I would give them my opinion on it. And then they would further ask questions. And then I would just say, you know, have you ever seen any videos or clips? Because in my day, they didn't have video clips of, you know, like a Will Kennedy or a, you know, Weckle or somebody tuning drums on YouTube, showing you how to tune. Like you heard the record or you saw the video and you tried to mirror it like just by listening. But mm-hmm. now they have that stuff on YouTube. So it's like, but my thing is, did you ever take the thought process to go to YouTube and type in drum tuning or type in your favorite drummer and see if he has a tuning video. It's just that whole concept of deeply diving in to learn and research is it's a trait that a lot of drummers need to, you know, revisit and 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 just never lose sight of because that that part of the game really helps with your sound. It really helps with your tone. It really helps with you trying to figure out jazz or trying to figure out funk or things like that without having without being able to jump the video to video so fast. I mean, it's super convenient to do that, but if you're only watching uh, a four-minute video of one drummer and then you go into the next one and you go into the next one, look up in 15 minutes, like you've probably forgotten everything you heard from that first video you watched because you didn't didn't really take a long time to dive into it. So, I mean, I, I, I really hope that the art of, you know, deep, 
like diving in and learning styles and even listening to drummers or whatever, I hope that doesn't die because it's, you know, it's a it's a very important role to being a drummer or a professional drummer in this business because that stuff really, that knowledge really comes in handy later on when you really start working. Mm-hmm. I, I also think it's a disadvantage for everyone trying to learn drums now because you you're overwhelmed with information so i you know years ago i never i was never like oh my god what am i gonna what am i gonna practice because i have so much to learn i gotta learn this style and i gotta learn these chops and i gotta learn you know this groove and i gotta do this and i gotta do this before it was kind of like a naturally progressing like winding road and you just discover things along the way now i feel bad for someone who's 13 years old now they're trying to learn drums and they go on youtube and there's a zillion drummers out there playing a zillion different things and it's like where do i start I don't even like how am I ever going to learn all of this stuff and it it's literally overwhelming. Well you well for the most part usually with younger drummers or the younger generation who who so so no one thinks I am uh <laughs> so no one thinks that I am saying like anything odd about the younger generation. I personally think the younger generation like it's unreal what some of these guys can do on the drum set. First, 100%. Let, me, let, let me say that. 100%. That, that, that the second piece to that is... <laughs> That's why I don't put videos up of me playing. I'm like, you know what? <laughs> it's like, it's, it's really unreal because it's like, I wasn't even thinking like that at that age. But it's like, to see someone 12, 13, you know, 11, playing some of the stuff they play, like, it's unreal. But to, so, to answer your question, I think for the most part, when you, you're young... You, na- you you gravitate towards your favorite str- your favorite drummer, and you usually probably start there, and that's kind of like a a navigation tool from where you end up in you know what I mean on your YouTube travels. So it's like you start there, and then you study that guy, and you study to study him to the T, or you more so mimic him to the T. But what happens is a, a lot of guys don't understand is when you do the mimic thing is that you pick up that drummer's positives, but you also pick up that drummer's negatives. And it's not necessarily a bad negative, but it's like you start to interpret everything just like that drummer. And when guys say, hey, can you try to interpret it different? You don't necessarily know how to interpret it different because you're interpreting just, you're you're interpreting exactly like something that you don't really understand why that drummer is interpreting that way. Right, you're parroting it, sort of. Pretty much, and it's yeah. and it's one of those things where it's like, you know, at this day and age, you have so much access to everything, especially with YouTube and all the drum websites and everything. You have so act so much access, but it's like there is something different about the studying aspect of figuring out what that drummer did or more so why he did it as opposed to what he played. Why he did it, why he played that way. Is there a different way to play it? Is there a different way to approach it? Things like that. But it's like, you know, you want to learn jazz, you type in jazz drummer and, you, you know, it's there. And it's like, but why did that jazz drummer interpret that song that way? Or why does he play his drums tune that high? Why does he play a small kick drum? And, you know, learning those kind of things or navigating through it is a part of becoming a a drummer because what you you don't want to happen is that you get in a situation where you hire because a drum, uh, an artist heard you play or heard you mimic another drummer. And then what happens is they say, well, can you play it like this or this style? 
and you have no point of reference. That's the mm -hmm. whole point. That's the whole point of doing the studying and doing the figuring out your own sound. And so you can always have a point of reference because there, there have been times where I've been in the studio and a producer or say, I want you to play this song like, you know, play it like a, a early 90s Carlos Vega record or something that Carlos would have done with Lee Rittenauer. And you have a point of reference because I listen to Lee Rittenauer. Mm -hmm. I like the stuff that Carlos did with him, you know, so I have a point of reference of the whole Dave Grusin sound and things like that. But if all you've ever studied, if, you, if, you, if you've never studied that whole lane, then it, 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 could, it could very well get you fired if you don't know your points of reference. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. if that makes any sense. 100%. And think about this. I mean, I'm sure you have, but what happens if, what happens if they Google jazz drummer, right? And I just happen to have put out a video of me playing jazz on YouTube and whatever, I'm a smart marketer and I know how to get YouTube views, right? So if my video is the most viewed video, then that's the first one you're going to see. I am a, to be nice about it, I'm a subpar straight ahead jazz drummer, right? So okay. if someone sees that as the first video and then they start playing and mimicking what I'm learning, all the stuff that I do, they're learning all the wrong stuff versus, you know, seeing a video of Elvin or somebody like that. But, it, but back in the day, if you listen to a blue note record or, you know, or you're listening to a Coltrane record or something like that, these guys have already been vetted and they've gone through the, you know, the process of, of making it, they got to blue note records because they're great. So, you know, that what you have in your hand is great, but on YouTube, you don't know if it's just some, some guy who knows nothing about jazz drumming and he's just good at marketing and puts a video up, you know? Yeah, there, 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 there's a lot of there's a lot of that on YouTube. But the one thing I have figured out is with certain keywords like jazz or funk or pop or rock or drums in general, certain keywords, even if you look at seven videos that just seem sketchy, <laughs> there is always at least one or two that are connected to it. And you click on those videos and it's like, oh, that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. Start but looking I, at the videos that aren't in high def first. <laughs> yeah, actually, yes. Like the videos that are not in high def, the ones that just seem like super old. And, and, and to be quite honest, me personally, I was watching stuff early on. Early on I was watching stuff that made no sense to me. Right. I was watching stuff. I was watching jazz. I was watching fusion. And I was like, this doesn't make sense to me. Like, I don't get it. I mean, I know the snare sounds good. And I know who the drummer is, but it doesn't make any sense. And then years later, I hear one song and it ties everything together. And then I go back and it's like, oh, I get it now. Like for the most part, everybody, every, every musician has that one song or that one album that made music click to them. Mm -hmm. it, it made it made you get it. Like you don't you don't become the grandmaster of music, but you you understand I get it. That it makes sense now. Like this right. is how I hear it. This is how I'm. This this is how I'm supposed to hear it now. From this point of reference, I can go back and listen to everything that I heard that I didn't make sense. And then, ninety percent of the time, that stuff starts to make sense for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I 
I, and I don't want to. I don't want to spin this so that that we're sitting here saying that everything on YouTube is bad and this oh, new, right. and new, this new generation is horrible. I don't. That is not my game. Like the game has changed, right? So we have all of this information out there. We have an abundance of anything that you want to find is available online. The fact that people listen to this podcast blows me away because there's a zillion other places where they could go to get content. So I appreciate you guys listening. So how how do you use this to your advantage? Let's talk about that. Let's talk about, okay, you have all this information out there. There's 85 magazines. There's 150,000 podcasts. There's YouTube. They're like, all right, we have this abundance of information. How do we use it to our advantage to actually get better and not be overwhelmed? Okay. Let, let, me, let me say this also. Let me, let me say this. Everybody listen to this podcast. All of your favorite drummers watch drum videos on YouTube. Just to be clear, all of your favorite drummers. <laughs> Watch I thought you were going to say videos. all your favorite drummers have been on the podcast or something, but <laughs> I, I, actually, a lot <laughs> of my kidding. favorite drummers have been on this podcast. I'm but just, they are, I'm just kidding. I, 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 like all of your favorite drummers, watch YouTube, learn, listen, watch the newest things, watch the youngest guy who's eleven and killing or six and killing. Like everybody is on YouTube at some point. But I, 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 I would, I would suggest. With YouTube, especially because you have all the knowledge right in front of you, you don't really have to do any of the hard work. With YouTube or with the different podcasts or different drum websites, things like that, take some time, dedicate some time every day to sit down and just study. Like Even if you study one drummer's style for like a couple days, two or three days or four days and just dive deep into it, like you have all of the information at your fingertips now. With YouTube, you can literally type in a drummer's name and a history of the drummer's videos will pop up. So there really is zero excuse to not study different styles or different drummers or not be aware of how or why he he or she played the song that way or did that record or approached or tuned their drums a certain type of way. Like all the information is there with these websites and with YouTube and everything. So I, I, I'm definitely a fan of the whole YouTube movement because there's sometimes the stuff that I just like, I want to see a guy do something or play something and I need to figure it out fast. And it gives me a point of reference even from there. But my suggestion to use to, to make it work for your advantage or to make it work so that it's not a detriment to you is like take time out to study different drummers and study that drummer don't don't end up down a rabbit hole of different drummers cuz it it'll it'll like you won't be able to focus on one thing like if you're going to study funk then you know study funk drummers study some of the guys who are proven funk drummers and figure out why like or if you're going to study jazz tuning or jazz swing or bebop or you know gospel drumming for that matter like it's so much at your fingertips now that it really is no excuse for you not to have a point of reference for every style of music that's on the planet like i don't i honestly don't think there's a style of music that you can't access through youtube now like everything is there even if it's even if it's pop or if it's folk like there is a point of reference so my advice would be to use if you're going to do the youtube thing which is which is pretty much how everybody does it now, then 
take time to really sit and study and and focus on it because it's very easy to get sidetracked on YouTube. It's very easy. Mm-hmm. All it takes is one video. <laughs> All it takes is one video and you're gone. But it's like study that stuff. Listen, listen to it. Try to play to it. Try to figure out your own variation of what the guy played. Try to figure out your own very variation of how the guy tuned, things like that. All that kind of stuff is at your fingertips. So definitely use it because you're going to need it in the long run. Stop watching cat videos on YouTube and start. Literally. Stu- <laughs> so I, I think this is super practical advice. So let's say, all right, like I love, I love the idea of like a takeaway, right? So let's say, okay, how can we do this? If you want to study funk drumming, right? All right, let's pick David Garibaldi, right? So He's like, you know, the Oakland funk guy. So I, what do you think? Pick, maybe find five records that he played on. And for a week, all you do is literally like watch videos of David Garibaldi on YouTube and find music on YouTube or on Spotify or something like that. That's Tower of Power. That's all David Garibaldi stuff. So then you spend a whole week just studying him, right? Yeah. For me personally, see, this is funny because it was maybe about... Uh, this time last year that I saw David Garibaldi play for the first time um, in person. He played with Tower Power at a club here uh, in D.C. or Virginia, uh, but it's all pretty close. Um, And I looked in the crowd, and it may have been like, you know, maybe six or seven drummers in the crowd. Six of the drummers I didn't even know. But I went to the show to hear David play. Mind you, I've been watching David or listening to David for shucks like for the past maybe 16 17 years Mm -hmm. so it's so it's like you know and he's one of those guys where if you want to challenge in terms of drums get a tower power david garibaldi record and listen to it because he's going to play some stuff that it's going to take you a while to figure out like almost to the point where you might actually take the cd out of the cd player and throw it across the room kind of (laughs) kind of anger and things because he makes it sound so easy but when he sit when you sit down and try to play it it really pushes you to that edge of figuring out what you can and can't do as a drummer and it's like you see him play live and it's very laid back it's very chill like he's not a super loud player but when you hear the stuff he's playing it's like what in the hell did he just play and it's and but listening to that stuff, internalizing it, figuring out those records and just hearing the grooves and hearing the vibes and all that kind of stuff. Like I I think I say I say David is probably one of the easier ones because he's, you know, 24 seven tower power. But you can get two or three tower power records and they're all funky, but they're all relatively different. So it's a great point of reference when you're in the studio and somebody says, play something funky, but I want it to be intricate, almost something like a. With that guy who plays for Tower Power, and you know in your head it's David Garibaldi, and they want something like that, so you can give them something like that. It goes right back to the thing of having a point of reference. Mm-hmm. But it so you you got funk, you got intricate, but you got it feels right, right, and and, and and right then and there you know what to play and how to play it or how to interpret it for that artist. But it's like for Dave or for you know it's it's so many guys, man. It's just like ah. Uh, 
And I think I, I, I mean, I totally agree with your, uh, with the point of reference idea too, that if you're in the studio and somebody says, give me something funky and you play like Dave Garibaldi and the guy goes, no, 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 not like Dave Garibaldi. Give me like Clyde Stubblefield funky or give me Zigaboo funky. Like those are three different. They're totally, they're three different. Uh, yeah, sure. They're all funk, but they all play approach. I mean, everything is completely different with all three of those guys. Uh, I agree a hundred percent. You know, hundred percent. It's all funky. But it's all three different points of reference. And you need to be aware of those points of reference so that, you know, you, you, you don't get fired. Because a lot of times producers or artists, they know what they want to hear, but they don't really know how to explain it. So if you have points of reference from a Clyde Stubblefield or David Garibaldi, David Garibaldi or P-Funk Dennis Chambers or, you know, a Dave Grusin Gad era. You have a point of reference of, you know, what is funky and what's going to feel right in terms of, you know, the record that you have in front of you. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, like this, this, you know, that point of reference thing is a, is a big deal for me because, you know, you're going to be put in positions where you have to figure out in a matter of minutes what they mean by what they want to hear and listening to those different styles and kinds of drummers like now you can really type in you know david garibaldi or stubblefield or any of these guys and it's like it's right there it's right there for you to sit down and, and not only is it right there but the majority of their video clips it's stuff that feels good like you can watch it and actually bob your head and it feels great so it's not a thing of you're listening to somebody play something technical. It's like it feels great. You don't realize it's technical until you actually sit down and try to play it, and and you and you make yourself look crazy a little bit. But <laughs> you know, figuring those things out is it's part of it's part of the game, man. It's, yeah. it's part of the game. Yep, that's how you get better. Musicians Institute has been your home to learn how to master the music business, master your craft, and really take it to the next level since the 70s. They're located in the heart of Hollywood, California, and you can learn more about them by going to mi.edu. And whether you're a drummer, a programmer, a guitar player, a bass player, it doesn't matter. They've got something for you. Check it out, mi.edu. Not far from MI is DW Drums. They're located in Oxnard, California. It's about an hour north of Los Angeles. If you're ever in the neighborhood, do yourself a favor, stop by, get a tour, see how those drums are made, and then you can also meet the people behind making these drums. It truly is a family up there, and they've been there since the 70s as well. They started in Los Angeles. They're now in Oxnard, California. Give them a visit, check them out, learn more about them by going to dwdrums.com. Now more with Greg Clark. So that you would mention Dennis Chambers. Let's talk about Dennis a little bit. So you're from, or, um, he's, in, he's a Baltimore guy, um, Baltimore, D.C. area guy. So did you, did you grow up seeing him? Is he a friend of the family? How did, what's the connection with Dennis? So the connection with Dennis is that probably about 2007, I think, 2007, I started going to a jam session who was it was run by two brothers, a bass player named Gary Granger 
and his brother Greg Granger. I don't, if you don't know who Gary Granger is, that's just ridiculous. But Gary did a lot of the John Schofield st- or all the John Schofield stuff when Dennis was playing. Mm-hmm. So they're they're running a jam session. Everybody comes through there. A little bit of everybody, literally. Um, so one day I go to the jam session. Greg asked me to come play drums. I was like, sure, I'll play drums. And you know. One thing I love about Gary Granger is that his timing is impeccable. His timing is impeccable, but he also loves to groove. So it's like I get up there and I'm so used to grooving with him. But I that day I get up there, we're playing this song. We're probably in the song maybe a minute and a half. And he starts playing a section and he's like solo over it. So I'm looking at him a little crazy, but I was just like, oh, okay, cool, whatever. Like I'm young, it's the summertime. <laughs> you know, I just start soloing, like having fun, blah, blah, blah. So I do my thing. Everybody's, you know, clapping and all that kind of stuff. I get up to go out of where the where the, uh, the room is where everybody's in. And I go to the bar. And when I'm walking to the bar, somebody grabbed my arm and was like, hey, man, you know, play the hell out of those drums, man. And I look back and I was like, thank you, because I was trying to get, you know, to the bar. Right. I was like, thank you. And then I had to double take. And I was like, wait a minute. I was like, are you Dennis Chambers? and he was like yeah man and i was like so after about 30 strong minutes of like being starstruck like i came back to his table i was like you know it's nice to meet you mr chambers all that he's like oh man call me dennis and all that kind of stuff and i was like nice to meet you dennis he's you know i don't know if i'd have played the same way if i knew you were in the room and blah 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 and things like that right he's like it's all good man sit down so i sat down at the table and I remember it like it was yesterday. I sat down at his table at 9.30 p.m. while the jam session was going on. And I didn't get up from his table until, I think, 2 a.m., like when the place wow. closed. Like, And we literally sat there the whole time talking, hanging out, him letting me hear stuff on his phone that I've never heard. And just kind of like just giving me the vibe, so to speak, like the, the good vibe. So... Fast from that on, fast forward to and that's how we that's how we actually met. So fast forward, maybe like about a month later, I reach out to him just to say hello because I happen to be up in Baltimore just hanging out. And I was like, hey, man, blah, blah, blah. You know, you in town, you out. He's like, yeah, I'm at the house. Come through if you want to. And I'm like, huh? What you just <laughs> say? <laughs> so, you know, so I come through the house and I'm hanging out with Dennis Chambers and I'm sitting here like starstruck. And I have this thing I do where, like, when I'm really starstruck, I'm just, like, I just get very silent. And it, <laughs> and it, and it, it almost becomes weird. So I have to force myself to talk. But we're, we're hanging out talking. He's letting me hear stuff. He's letting me watch videos that a lot of people have never seen. All that kind of stuff. So I'm like, hey, man, you know, it would be cool to kind of study with you. And, you know, he was like, you know, I don't really give lessons. I was like, okay. I was like, and at the time, I didn't, I wasn't aware that he was, you know, he was like on a really crazy tour with Santana, and he was still still doing stuff with Dave Howe, and he was just like really like busy. Right. So what he did, he's like, he's like, you know, he's like, you got your iPod? I was like, yeah, I got it. So, and I actually just had bought the iPod maybe like about three or four months ago, so I had maybe thirty songs on it. So he's like, give me your iPod. So he was, he turned his computer and he said, have you heard this? Have you heard this? He's like, I was like, no, I don't know who, I don't know who VSOP is. I don't know right. who, you know, I've never heard of these bands. So he started putting all this stuff on my iPod and he filled up 
my 80 gig iPod like in one sitting. And he was like, he was like, go listen to this. So I was, I was like, okay. So I started listening to the stuff and I'm like, he really just gave me a well of information that he really didn't have to give me. Right. So it's, so it's like, even to this day, we're talking 2017, there's still stuff on that iPod that comes on that I've never heard. And, I was, and I'm like, wow, this is, this is really amazing. Like it's, it's, it's crazy. So it's like, and me actually seeing him play drums, I probably didn't see him play drums in person to maybe about, I don't know, 2011, 2012 or something. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I knew him for all those years, but I knew Dennis, you know, who takes the dishes out of the dishwasher right. and who sweeps the floor and who go who goes and picks up his kids and his grandkids and things. Like, I knew the human side of him. So I'd gotten so comfortable with him that, you know, when I saw him play for the first time, or like really saw him play like with his setup and stuff like that. Like I immediately went back to, oh my God, that's Dennis Shaver. Like he's playing. <laughs> like that kind of thing. And you know, right. and, and, and no matter how old you get in this game or how much you have co- you have accomplished, there are certain Mount Rushmore drummers that when you see them, you go back into I'm a twelve year old kid. I can't believe I'm watching you play. Right. So it was just like and he kept laughing because he can understand while I was acting like that, I was like, dude, I've never seen you play. Like, you know, we sat down and like shared it for a little bit at one of his clinics in LA, me, him and, uh, and, uh, Ronald Brunner. And it was just like less us being silly kind of clowning around. But like outside of that, like there's never been a time where we've actually sat down and played drums, Mm -hmm. like, and just traded eights and things like that. Like he gave me a whole different side of, because he he was just like man you know you can play you know that's not the issue and he right. was just like and and but and he just decided to give me a well of a well of knowledge like and since then it's it, you know it's been like a whole thing of you know him sending videos him calling to check up on me him he, 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 he just being a really really cool guy so the whole uncle Dennis thing came from that because it was just like you know knowing him knowing his family you know him being super cool like that's where the whole and him giving me some really good advice and not being afraid or not being you know too big of a guy to tell me when i'm screwing up and things like that you know Mm -hmm. so that's where the whole uncle dennis thing came from it's amazing how like you said he's like a mount rushmore of a drummer and but how open he is to that sort of thing like i had him on the podcast and sort of the same you know, the same thing in terms of his openness and his, and his kindness. He's just like, Oh, if you're, you know, if you're ever in Baltimore, hit me up and we'll get together and you know, you know, I'll whatever, we'll talk drums and we'll hang out. And just the idea that, that he's willing to, I mean, he doesn't have to do that, you know? So the idea that he's willing to give his time to you or, you know, to, to, and I've heard multiple stories of him, not necessarily taking people under his wing, but more just being open to, you know, help guide drummers when he doesn't really need to do that sort of thing you know yeah it's it's one of those things where when he when he pass when he pass away when he passes away which i hope is no time soon they're probably going to have to have his funeral in like the Cowboys stadium because it's gonna <laughs> it's gonna it's really going to be that many people there that you have no idea that he influenced mm-hmm. or helped out quietly until they show up and say you know Dennis, help me with this, blah, blah, blah. He's the type of guy who will say, when you come to Baltimore, I'll come to your show and hang out. And when you call him and tell him that you're playing, he'll give you some sort of a, 
I'm not sure if I can make it. I don't know if I can make it, blah, blah, blah. Just so you don't put his name on the guest list. Just so he'll show up and actually pay to support your band and things like that. He's that type of guy. So it's like, yeah. how, how can how can you not utterly respect the guy? Because I know some some super famous drummers who are not so nice or they're a, a tad cocky. And it's like, you got a guy who is arguably one of the best drummers to ever play drums, who is one of the nicest people in the world. Like, how can you not like a person like that? Mm-hmm. So, you know, that, and, you know, so that, that that's honestly how the whole Uncle Dennis thing came about and all that kind of stuff. And he's just a good dude and he continues to look out and show love. So, you know, it's cool. Goes a long way. Yeah, man. So let's talk about some some projects that you're working on now and sort of what you have planned for the future. Um, Right now, I am working with a producer by the name of Daniel Weatherspoon. He's produced uh, a little bit for everybody and toured for everybody. You know, produced with Michael McDonald, toured with Destiny's Child. You know, like he actually has like platinum records, platinum plaques on his wall. So it's like... But he put out a like he's a phenomenal pianist from Chicago. He put out a record, uh, I think the beginning of or the, the end of last year, and the record actually debuted debuted on Billboard number one, nice. like in, in jazz and like in the jazz area of Billboard, which is pretty insane. So it's like he, you know, doing that. He put the record out, uh, like I think in January. He decided. Or December, he decided he wanted to tour the record. So third week of January, or the fourth week, like right after Nam, like we did like a couple of rehearsals, and we were only supposed to do, uh, I think, like two or three weeks of touring. And those two or three weeks turned from the last week of January till I think the first week or second week of June. Oh wow! Yeah. So it just kind of happened like that, and the, and and we, you know, we had to take a break because the the Daniel. And the bass player in the band, Anton Nesbitt, who's a phenomenal bass player in Nashville. Um, these guys actually have like families and wives and kids, and you gotta you gotta stop every now and again to make sure family is taken care of and things like that. Definitely. So we took a couple of weeks off. I mean, a, t- a couple of months off. Um, you know, of course, the guys are still working, doing things. But I, we're actually about to start back touring with his band, I think in about two or three weeks. And uh, so that's like the main thing that I'm working on right now with uh, Daniel Westwood. The project is the Langley Pro- the Langley Park Project or the Langley Park Tour. Like it's a phenomenal record. You got some of a little bit of everybody on there from Anton to Daniel. Uh, JT on drums. He played, he also plays with Snarky Puppy. He played on the record. You got Tommy Sims. You got shucks a little bit of everybody yeah uh, so that's what i'm doing right now for the majority and of course different little projects and clinics and things like that um also with that but that's like the main kind of focus it, it is taking up a lot of my time and i'm actually i'm actually grateful for it because it's a it's he's a good dude and it's a good record good so what's the, if people want to what's the best people best way for people to connect with you is it instagram is it twitter is it facebook what's what do you prefer um, it's Instagram. It's, uh, you know, it's Instagram. My name is pretty much the same everywhere. Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff is Greg Clark Jr. No E on the clock, all one word, like come on over, hang out. I try to, I try my absolute best to 
respond and communicate with everybody. I figure if you take the time to watch a video or like a post or send me a message, at the very least, I want to uh, say something or respond or anything like that. I never want to be one of those guys who, you know, you're too busy to say thank you. So, you know, if you come on over to Instagram, Greg Clark Jr., Facebook, Greg Clark Jr., like all that kind of stuff, like that's how you'll find me. And he's not lying because that's how I got in touch with him. Like literally, that <laughs> he sent me a message, and I was like, "Oh wow, I would lo- I would love to do that." But yeah, like I, it's it's actually I want to backtrack a quick second. Sure. Um. Uh. We were talking. To, you asked me earlier about some of the people I have worked with. Um. I would say, uh, like I did a thing here in in uh, D.C. maybe about two or three years ago. Uh, on the National Mall for the White House with Obama and things like that. And Leanne was, Leanne, that's how I got to work with her and Heather Headley and the Winans and all there, a bunch of different kind of people. Like we were the house band for it. And it was just kind of like a, it was kind of like a big deal thing. Cause like everybody was there and like Oprah came over to the band pit and started hanging out with us. Like it was that level of something that I was just like, Yo, that's that's Oprah Winfrey, like right. that kind of thing. But it was just um, like from that, and then like, or you know, even the whole thing of Snarky Puppy. I I, I specifically want to mention them because the drummer for Snarky Puppy, Spud Seawright, who everybody knows, or Robert Spud Seawright, his whole name. <laughs> uh, he's one of those guys, just like Dennis. He's one of those guys who has for for like decades have poured into a lot of musicians, producers, everybody. And like, you're talking about a Grammy award winning drummer, producer who, you know, who's just like a super good dude. And he's, he was pretty much the catalyst of, you know, me ending up working with Snarky Puppy a while back, which was a very unusual story of him calling me on a Monday and asking me to get on a train on a Wednesday to go to New York and rehearse with Snarky Puppy for two days and go on tour with them. But the actual rehearsals, we never rehearsed the songs we were playing on the tour. Like they were rehearsing for a new record. So they actually never got to hear me play until the first show, <laughs> which which is unusual. But it's, you know. You're like, don't screw this up. <laughs> yeah, it was one of those things where it was just like, you know, I was a fan, I'm a fan of them. And it was just like, hey, man, I need you to come. I need you to come and do this tour uh, if you can. And I was like, sure. And it was just, you know, I got a call back. It was just like Mike Lee had already reached out to Louis Cato. Louis Cato is the drummer, played with Marcus Miller, everybody. He's mm-hmm. actually the drummer on uh, Late Night with Stephen Colbert now, mm-hmm. or one of the drummers, rather. Um, so I re- he reached out to Louis. Louis said he can do it. Um, but by the time Mike landed, on his flight, Lewis had te- messaged him back and said he couldn't do it because he had to go out with Marcus. So it literally went from, I need you to do the, the tour, so you don't worry about it, to like Wednesday morning, hey, can you hop on a train today and come to New York and, and do the rehearsals and then go out on tour? So it was just like, it was a bit of a stressy kind of thing because they hadn't heard me play. And it was... uh if Spud says you can play, you can play. So we're all good. And it's like <laughs> Snarky Puppy is not necessarily one of those bands where you just kind of come in and you fake it because there's no. so much there's so much instrumentation going on where like you have to know your parts and you have to know how to stay out of the way, but also create a foundation where everybody can go wherever they want to freely. So that tour actually ended up 
turning out really, really cool. Um, I did that, but it was because of, you know, a guy like Sput. Like, he, yeah. you know, so he can call anybody. And the fact that he decided to call me was super cool. So that was kind of like, you know, the story behind that whole thing when it happened. And, ever, you know, ever since then, like, you know, or more so even before then, like, we've been, like, super cool. But he's, Sput is definitely one of those guys, even though he's, like, still kind of young, <laughs> He's definitely one of those guys who's on his way to being one of the Mount Rushmore drummers like of all time because he's like some of the people that he's influenced or like call him for advice like you would be shocked and amazed but you know he's one of those good dudes and he's he's an old soul you know he has he has that like that sage kind of vibe to him you know he's very much an old soul and and, and you know but he's a he's like he's just a he's just a very good dude. He's one of those guys who has also poured into me and you know thing because I come from a city where you got drummers like we all kind of grew up together. Where you got drummers like you know you got drummers like Jay Williams who plays literally for everybody in the smooth jazz circuit from Jonathan Butler to Gerald Albright, Dave Cos, like Layla Hathaway. Like he plays for everybody. Or at one point has played for everybody. So I grew up with that. You got Aaron Spears, who, you know, grew up like 15 minutes from each other. Mm-hmm. Every, everybody knows who Aaron Spears is. If you don't, you probably should just quit drumming uh, <laughs> now. Um, you got. If so you want to know about Aaron, check out his interview on the podcast. Yeah, like you, you got all these kind of guys, you know, Jamal Moore, and you got Steve Johnson, uh, you got Warren Jones. It's so many guys who are just phenomenal drummers um that just that that i grew up with so it's like you know it's humbling that a guy who uh, like sput would come around and just have a well of knowledge from a whole different perspective Mm -hmm. to just pour in man it was it's it's super cool man it's really really super cool one i think that the reason why you get those calls is because you deserve those calls. And two, I agree that that Sput is uh, he's I mean, he's an ambassador, man. He's he's an ambassador for drumming and and community and and I don't even know him that well just from the interaction that I've had. I had him on the podcast and we've interacted a little bit after that, but but just from the stories that I get from him and the things that he puts out there, man, he's just that's that's what makes you that Mount Rushmore kind of a drummer. You know, the same thing that Dennis Chambers has done for years i see spot doing the same thing and you you know i i think that that you're i think that you're following down that road as well so that's good well i'm i'm trying to i'm trying to i don't know if i'm necessarily at a dentist or a spot level yet like that's uh, i'm I'm still a i'm still a uh 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 I'm just not there yet. Well, that's of course, but nice, you can help. Nice of you to say. But you can but, help. Uh, you know, it's like <laughs> it's like everybody wants to talk about being a philanthropist, and it's like, well, you don't have to be a millionaire to like to help people. You know, that, that's it's, very true. So it's same deal. Like you don't, you know, you don't have to be Dennis Chambers to help somebody along their path. That is yeah. that is that's that's very true. You don't have to be a well-known drummer to be nice to other drummers. You right. can. You, it's just it's just nice to be nice. Right. Exactly. That. I think that's the perfect place to end it. It's nice to be nice. That's all you need to know. (laughs) Greg, my man, I appreciate you taking the time to chat with me and congratulations on all the success that you've had so far. And I wish you nothing but success in the future, man. And anytime you would like to come back and chat drums, you're more than welcome. It is all good, man. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Of course. And I will talk to you soon, brother. All right. Sounds good. See you, man. 
All right. All right, there you have it, the one and only Greg Clark. Hope you dug it. Hope you enjoyed it, and I would love to hear your feedback on it. Also, if you want to get the Monday email, Nick's Monday Mix, it is the latest podcast releases. Also, there's some other links in there about things that I think you'll dig, some documentaries, some books, some things I'm watching, listening to, all that fun stuff. And you'll also get the That's a Wrap email. You'll also be kept up to date with everything going on with Drummer's Resource. 100% free, obviously. Go to drummersresource.com, sign up for the mailing list, and you'll also get a copy of my ebook, Stick Control Variations. It's 11 creative exercises. That'll help you with your speed, your independence, your chops, all that good stuff. That's 100% free as well. You can do all that at drummersresource.com. And until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much. Thank you for letting me do this podcast, getting to the 300th episode. That is completely mind-boggling, blows me away that there are 300 episodes and people are still listening every day and the numbers are going up and up. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. I really do appreciate it. And here's to thousands more episodes. So keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.